A hundred percent. And I think it's a hard thing for people who have spent their whole lives on traditional social networks, like, like we have to wrap their hand or head around the notion that, you know, this content transcends the platform that it's on. It's following a standard that other platforms and protocols are also adhering to. And therefore it can be, it's, it's composable, it's reusable across them and in very interesting ways and can be multifunctional in ways that it couldn't be before, you know, a piece of content can serve as access to a community in terms of you minting it or collecting it in these various forms or serve as a form of social uh, social proof, like the Farcaster example that you gave where a piece of content can be minted on chain, but the ownership of that can be something that is then reflected on a protocol like Farcaster, right? I, I think that we, we people will get more and more used to it uh, as they see more examples of it that impact their regular lives. Hey, this thing that I did over here is now usable over here or has some impact in terms of my mutual interest with other people over there um, that, that I think will, will really start to compound. And I think through the example that, that, that you gave with UFO and, and, your, and, and your origin, you know, I think it's interesting how certain parts of your community may connect with you and consume your content in, in different ways. They may only see it on mirror. They may only consume with it only consume it on lens, but when they end up on these other platforms or a completely third one, you know, a third esoteric one or whatever that meme is on Twitter, right? Um, they'll, 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 the, the activity that they've done so far is already contextualized to the community and to UFO itself on this new platform, on this third protocol, on, on whatever it may be in very powerful ways. You know, um, you're, you're minting or collecting of a, uh, of 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 a post that serves as an NFT on the Polygon blockchain on Lens is something that can then be used to get your access to an article that's been written on Mirror or access to a Discord using Guild or whatever it may be. And so the the fact that th these actions are adhering to these agreed upon standards over a, a, a very much growing community, the EVM as a whole. Uh, gives them superpowers across these platforms in, in, in ways that uh, will just lead to completely new use cases and, and, and really exciting uh, features. Welcome to UFO, a podcast where artists, musicians, and Web3 builders talk about the future, a place for revolutionary ideas. I'm your host, Nick Hollins. On today's show, Nir Kabessa, co-founder and CEO of Yup along with co-founder Vernon Johnson. Yup is the best of Web3 all-in-one feed, aggregating the best content of Lens, Farcaster, Mira, NFTs, and Crypto Twitter, a new way to curate your own feed and post across platforms. Nia was president of blockchain at Columbia from 2018 to 2020. Since 2020, he's been a mentor at the Columbia IBM Blockchain Accelerator. He's a speaker and investor, bright mind in the space for years now, contributing at publications including Forefront, Hacker Noon, and Big Think. Topics have included EVM network effects, NFTs in the meme economy, the SuperDAP thesis, and curator economy, monetizing taste in Web3. In this episode, we talk about the EVM as a social network the rapid evolution, growth, and experimentation that we're seeing in Web3 Social, and what it means for DAOs and media networks like UFO. And Nier's early origins in the crypto space, 
starting way back in 2014 and ramping up from 2017. Before we get to this conversation, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. Firstly, our friends at Yup, that's right, the Web3 aggregator co-founded by Nia. Search across platforms, customize your feed, and show off your NFTs and POAPs on your profile. This is episode 20 of UFO, and on this day, we're doing something new. Within hours of this episode going live, a free mint NFT to access priority for the Yup mobile beta waitlist drops at ufo.mira.xyz. Everyone in the community is invited to register for the Yup mobile beta via the post on the UFO Mira blog. UFO subscribers from Mira and Lens and holders of the UFO Genesis Pass are on the allow list to mint a free special edition UFO X Yup NFT. Holders will receive priority access on the Yup waitlist to start using the new mobile app. And you'll pick up a cool to have NFT that shows you a here, early to Yup and UFO at this moment in the timeline as Web3 Social ramps up. The best of Web3 in one feed, visit yup.io. Next up for UFO sponsors, our friends at Zerian. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders, shaping the cultural side of Web3. And Zerian is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zerian combines every corner of Web3 in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. Come along and check out their new app on mobile. You can get started at zerian.io. That's Z-E-R-I-O-N.io. Lens Protocol is the open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It's a new era for social media in Web3. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let Web3 social apps thrive, a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever application you want to use. And instead of being trapped inside the walled garden of an algorithm, Lens lets you choose the way that you want to experience your social media. UFO is here to help listeners get started with Lens, and for now, the best way to pick up an invite is letting us know on social. Follow us, retweet, post replies. UFO is available on all Lens apps at ufoclub.lens. To explore links for Nier and his projects we talk about in this episode, check out the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. You can find Nier on Twitter at nir underscore triple i. Now let's jump in, starting with his experiences and insights from ETH Denver just a few weeks ago. Yeah, you know, I I actively chose to not spend too much time in Denver this year compared to last year where I was essentially there for the whole week. Uh, this time I came in for about two days and kind of made a point to see everyone and made it to some awesome events like the EcoDAO rave and, and such. Uh, and honestly, personally feel way more comfortable in a bear market or as a contrarian when I compare, you know, this East Denver, for example, to last year's South by Southwest, I think the, the, the approach has been a lot less sort of saturated with froth and, 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 and hype and FOMO and, 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 and adrenaline and more 
focused on pragmatic, product-focused, use, use-case-focused products and features that I think uh, has been very exciting to see. So I personally sort of thrive much more in this environment and find myself able to focus much more on the important things uh, during these, this part of the market cycle. Uh, and I think certainly at an event like ETH Denver, um, you know, Denver being a, a city that's kind of uh, not not as popular or as big or as large as something like New York during NFT NYC or South by and, and Austin, but but really sort of a smaller group of dedicated people in the ETH community that are that are really uh, excited about what's happening in Web three. Um, that I found, you know, I, I find always kind of uh, very comforting and 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 great. So this time is certainly the same. I think uh, there's there's clearly a lot of focus on on certain use cases and 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 segments of the industry right now. Things like uh, roll ups, zk in general, AA, and so on. And certainly been the, the main topics of conversation as well as Web3 Social. And I think Lens in particular did an awesome job showing up for uh, ETH Denver. Yeah, I, I did see through social and stuff like Lens were making an impact with some killer hoodies and, and merch and stuff like that as well. I think mm-hmm. they were doing well in that yeah. in that side of the game. But also I saw, yeah, like general, I guess like interfacing in person, like people being like, what's Lens all about? I want to get get interested in this and stuff like that which is which is cool to see but like i've never been to eth denver personally i was hoping to make it out this year um but not quite but it feels anecdotally it might be the biggest kind of builder focused event in the calendar would you say i think so i mean it it depends which builder you ask in what community but generally feel feel that to be the case i think the most substantive one for sure Last year, I, I spent some time at the hackathon as well, and certainly felt like it was one of the more productive hackathons and communities I, I participated in. So, and and when you say like some of the the major themes or focus of like the community that was building there um, this year, were there any kind of um, interesting conversations that you had in relation to, uh, I suppose, Yup and these things that we're going to get into in this episode in in conversation in terms of you know. Um, aggregation across Web3 social and various like publishing apps and things like this? Certainly, I think uh, Web3 social uh, was much more top of mind this year, I think, compared to last, given just things that have happened both in our ecosystem and in society in general. Uh, that seemed to be really a big topic of conversation, certainly while people were talking to me. And I think in addition to that, just a better understanding of uh, Web3 content, Web3 uh, communities and Web3 creators uh, that are happening on Web3 native platforms. It just seemed to be much more native in the conversations that we're, where we're having. A lot of people just much more aware of these protocols and using them um, and, you know, various meetups and, and communities emerging or, or, or showing up uh, in, in mass in um, in ETH Denver, whether it be the the, the lens merch and, and the people wearing it and sharing it, like you mentioned, or the the large kind of first Farcaster meetup for for a conference like that that I think happened, and a lot of very positive things that I heard from that as well. Um, so I think you know just in, in the conversations ha- I'm having with people and and their interests, uh, not only in Web three social but their their understanding of it and their and their usage of it, right? That that it's actually more and more a part of their lives and their engagement. Uh, a funny anecdote is I was showing two friends um the 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 mobile app which we'll talk about a bit later uh while at a music nft party that i think cooper turley was throwing um and while opening the app the first thing at the top of the the feed was uh someone minting the po app of of that music nft event that we were at so it was really interesting to see kind of the real time 
uh, engagement with Web3 protocols and, and, the, and the surfacing and, and, and kind of uh, story story that came around that for, for ETH Denver as a whole, both for those who were there and, and those that were experiencing it in a digital sense, um, you know, or within within this ecosystem. So that was, that was a nice little anecdote as well. Yeah, that's cool. And, and it's sort of, it is this sort of next gen internet kind of phase that everything's moving into. And you know, like various communities kind of having meetups and throwing parties and stuff like that. And I feel like some of these in-person Ethereum weeks and other things like that are kind of becoming the places where these like internet communities and DAOs and, and stuff like that, like this is where they gather and kind of meet in person and the kind of what exists kind of in discords or whatever kind of hangout spaces for these communities. Like these are really um you know standout moments in the calendar where these people can actually meet up in person because they'll be all over the states europe around the world stuff like that yeah i think it's exactly that you know part of it is just very practical given that most of us are going to be here anyway but i think part of it has also becomes traditional in the sense that you know new communities need new traditions and new cultures new sort of points of gathering and and so on and i think our, ours has certainly found theirs around these things um, you know, I think uh, other good examples of that being, you know, South by or NFT NYC, the fact that not only we all come together, but also sub communities will plan things around these events, you know, Dow camp happening around South by Southwest, I think, is an interesting example, uh, general teams, you know, or DAOs uh, uh, for having their retreats, their, their, their DAO retreats. Um, in these cities around the same time as these large conferences, I think is another example of this. And I think also just socially, I've seen certainly in my social circles with people who are in Web3 that that, that we sam- seem to plan things uh, together and around uh, these large these large events. So I think it's they're great focal points uh, for us to kind of build culture and community around. Yeah, like quick note on this. Um, just earlier today, I saw Steph from uh, Seed Club tweeting a thing saying DAOs are not the future of work, they're social networks and consumer experiences. And I think that's true um, to whatever extent. And, you know, when we see it in these in-person events, that's where, you know, the manifestation of DAOs like Friends with Benefits or Seat Club or Song Camp or Water and Music or all these sorts of communities um, that it's not just about, you know, DAO as a, yeah, like a, a future of work kind of concept. I feel like the social network thing is much more resonant and also relevant with an app like Yup and stuff like that, where you're saying, you know, you're there at the party and the meetup, and it's also showing up on your kind of futuristic Web3 social app thing. And all these things are just going to, you know, continue to drive and evolve each other and accelerate, I feel like. Like it's all kind of headed in that direction, which is, you know, that's what we're here for. 100%. You know, I think. Uh... When, when I think of DAOs, I think about them more as, as collective ownership rather than the future of work. And the fact that Web3 in general allows you to be, you know, both a member of, uh, of a community and, and an owner of it in, in a way that, that, that has value to you and, and starts to build culture around, around these specific um, interests or topics or assets, whatever it may be, that I think is going to continue to, to resonate with people and become a bigger, bigger part of their social lives. Um, it, you know, David Phelps has an incredible piece I helped, I helped him on called uh, People Are the New Platforms. And I think that's a very interesting way of thinking about this, which is what Web3 open protocols and permissionless standards have enabled is for the connections to actually be uh, 
within communities rather than on platforms. And so it doesn't, it starts to, we start to see communities and, and connections transcend the individual platforms that they're, that they're happening on because of this level of kind of permissionless and, 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 and user centric, uh, autonomy that, that, that uh web3 enables that i think is is very compelling and 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 we hope to continue to see and and you know it, it becomes less and less where you interacted with someone and more who you interacted with and um the longevity of that connection yeah i dig that and like a little observation that like it's sort of like internet communities are starting to behave more like a media network kind of thing in the same way that previously a radio station, magazine, publication, whatever it is, like, of course, they're going to exist and have a footprint on all or pretty much all available platforms for publishing and stuff like that. And many of these like DAOs and internet communities are now the same. And like, we can talk about it um, in a minute as well, but uh, or a little later in this conversation. But thinking about UFO is one example of like, we, you know, we are this, um, we are this like uh, media publication network project or whatever. And therefore, of course, we exist on Mira and Lens and Future Zora and all these kinds of things are going to be going to be relevant. I think it's interesting to observe that happening and that almost like being on the Internet produces media anyway. Like this is how we interface with each other. As you say, like David's written a fantastic article that just published in the last day or two. It's kind of... I've been feeling that since like over a decade ago, back in the badlands of Facebook time. I'm like, I feel like the future of social is we're not just posting these little posts and updates. It's like, we're going to publish for each other. We're going to write a thing. We're going to like, let's take our time, like a little more substantial contributions and interaction with each other. Does that make sense? Rather than just these little nothing posts and stuff, you know, like I, I want to read uh, pieces that were written by my friends or stuff like that, you know? A hundred percent. And I think, the, the fact that they not only transcend but outlive these platforms, yeah, I think is, is a very important part of this. You know, I'm sure you can think back to, to to a decade ago, like you mentioned. You know, a lot of platforms where we used to spend a lot of time, and then and now today aren't able to engage with that content. That the, the the interactions that we had back then aren't contextualized to the platforms that we're engaging with now. I think the way that Web three transcends that gives a level of 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 further realness and and I think connection between those communities and, and those individuals and the interactions that they're having that, you know, individuals platforms are really limited on. Yeah. I appreciate the conversations around, like we lost all the music on MySpace, much of SoundCloud, yeah. you know, and and people will joke yeah. about new kind of web three publishing platforms or protocols of like, we're recreating Tumblr, you know, <laughs> like Tumblr is something that people <laughs> point to as well. That was, you know, essentially annihilated and, and lost, but yeah, with this new Web three model, it's like it can kind of my identity online, tokenized identity. We can kind of see, you know, we can all kind of track what we're doing. Um, yeah, major, major unlock, game changer. And the content and, and and sort of history associated with that 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 I think is is so important and interesting from a community standpoint, from a meme standpoint, from a content standpoint in today's world, right? For example, if there's a mixtape you really loved on SoundCloud in 2011 and being able to kind of congregate with others who were interested in that then today on the platforms that are relevant today, right? Th these kinds of things are MySpace to your example or, or whatever, right? Uh, I, I, that I think is, 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 is even more interesting and, and going to be very, very compelling moving forward, you know, that, that, that our children or 
whatever platforms we're on 20 years from now, we'll be able to leverage the context, the interest, the connections of what we're doing today on, on some of these protocols. Yeah, I'd love to jump across to kind of getting into your origin stories in crypto as we talk about the distant past of a decade ago and, and all this kind of stuff. But um, noting that before uh, you uh, co-founded Yup, current um, app and product that you're, that you're working on, you were president of blockchain at Columbia. Uh, I'd love to hear a bit about like what the scene looks like at a university blockchain community kind of thing. And seeing as you were there from like early 2018 through early 2020, which essentially that's, you know, the last major bear market as well. Um, so you're right there through that phase. I'd love to yeah hear a little about your experiences there and what, what that scene looks like. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Rewinding a bit before that to 2015, sure. uh, I was initially introduced to crypto, specifically Bitcoin, around the 2014-2015 wave uh, while serving in the Israeli military. I was in field intelligence and had friends who were interested in these kinds of things and just find myself kind of curiously looking at it, participating from an investment standpoint. Uh, but it wasn't until summer of 2016 when I arrived on Columbia University's campus that I really kind of... Uh, sparked my interest in in web3 i would say and the ethereum ecosystem and uh parts of 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 web3 and, and crypto that were much more interesting and compelling to me than the monetary or financial sides that came with the with the bitcoin uh community uh and really led to me wanting to kind of dedicate my 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 time full-time to to this space at around 2017 and, and sort of participate in that cycle um and to to speak about what was happening on campus you know, I think uh, Colombia, surprisingly, at the time was was a bit late to to Web three and crypto compared to maybe some of its Ivy League peers or or other universities at its stature. You know, uh, we we didn't have that many. We had, I think, maybe one blockchain course on campus in twenty eighteen, and 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 uh, it was in the business school. There was no technical courses on that at the time. Too much. I mean, obviously, a lot on crypto cryptography. You know, homomorphic encryption, th things that relate to it for sure, but not not uh not uh blockchain tech itself necessarily um and uh we as students uh formed a student lab called blockchain at columbia which i was lucky to be the founding president of in around 2018 uh and with the with the express goal of having a place to research these topics study them teach them to other students uh have people come to campus and speak about these topics as well as hack around projects around these things. Um, and uh, for me, it was one of the best things I'd done at, on Columbia's campus and was very happy to be sort of involved with that early on. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the beauty of college campuses is that it affords you a lot of uh, resources to go out and do, um, you know, things that you're interested in. And certainly we had the, the ability to do that. And then, you know, I think over, over the years, got to a place where now Columbia is one of the top 10 schools for uh, crypto related research and, 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 and education as well. Last I checked with the, with the ranks that are put together, I think by Coinbase or Coindesk or whoever does it, um, definitely one of the top schools uh, in terms of uh, founders and, 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 and uh, web three related people that's, that's, that's come, you know, that comes out of campuses. So um, yeah, I think, uh, it, and in terms of your point around the, the bear market or last bear market, uh, that's certainly something that affects interest on, on campus, but I think also uh, allows the students who are very interested in it to, to really focus on it and, and do great work. And so definitely the size of the, of the lab 
shrunk a lot in the in the bear versus the bull. Uh, but I think the quality and output of uh, research founders, you know, internal projects or whatever it may be, uh, increased substantially during that time and until today, uh, after the last cycle. Yeah, like to be honest, like I when we talk about like ETH Denver or that being a thing and people come together to like hack on projects and, and do stuff for a week, a week and a half or whatever, the idea of like being immersed in a kind of blockchain society at a major university um, seems super appealing, like a, a thing that just kind of keeps rolling. And I can imagine, um, were there any particular, you know, um, uh, projects, things like initiatives and stuff that were focused on during your time? there at uh, Columbia and stuff that, that we would recognize? Yeah, we, so some of the intro courses, we, we led some intro courses on campus where we had uh, uh, lectures twice a week uh, with professors coming in and, and students leading lectures around essentially blockchain one-on-one courses um, during early in my, in my tenure. And um, I would say by 2019, some of that curriculum had made its way into actual courses with, with credits uh, in various parts of, of, of Columbia, I for, I, for example, got to TA a course in electrical engineering department on intro to blockchain at Columbia. Um, and there's many courses today that, that follow, you know, parts of that same curriculum. And I think we're really sort of initialized by us to, to some fashion. Uh, we did an internal uh, uh, election tool we were using for our own elections and experimenting with the student council for uh, voting on student council elections using blockchain tech. Um, we did uh, both. We we founded uh, both the, the Lion Hack, not Lion Hack, the, the Blockchain at Columbia Hackathon and uh, Ledger Fest conference. So once a year, uh, Blockchain at Columbia now runs a conference called Ledger Fest. It's roughly at the same time as uh, this year. This last year was during Masari Mainnet, um, or roughly around that same time. And it's a really awesome conference. They do really great work. Um, I, I spoke at it this year and thought it, it was done very well. So that's certainly something that you'll notice or see if you um, are part of it now, uh, as well as like a lot of grants programs that we put together that students still benefit from. Um, and then lastly, and this was a bit after my tenure, but but I helped facilitate uh, through connect, in, engaging with Mirror and other, and other uh, protocols that were relevant to this. Um, Blockchain at Columbia was the first student lab to uh, form a DAO uh, called LionDAO, uh, which launched on Mirror and gained participation from a lot of uh, students and alumni and professors at Columbia um, that still runs to this day. And, and formed that, from that also formed a lot of governance work that the lab does around um, essentially participating as delegates and, 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 and voters in large uh, uh, DAOs, either for large venture funds that are delegating their tokens to them or other individuals or institutions uh, that, that would like to have them be de big delegates on these DAOs. And big examples being Uniswap, Maker, uh, DYDX, and, and several others, I, I can't recall. But um, I think that's a, an, an incredible achievement and, and, and very proud of what they've done there and the other parties that were involved in setting that up. Uh, I think that it, it makes it insanely compelling as a student to participate in those, in, 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 to be a part of that student lab, I think compared to most other sort of student organizations that you could join on Columbia's campus or any other campus for that matter, you're not gonna have as much impact as having, you know, half a percent of the voting power of all of Uniswap's, you know, multi-billion dollar DAO. Uh, I think, you know, there's very few opportunities to have that kind of responsibility as a student. 
uh, and this is certainly a very exciting and compelling one. So really, really great to see it go from a place of, you know, new organization, very little funding, uh, very little footprint on campus, and not a lot of an academic, uh, you know, curriculum to learn on campus to a place where um, large amount of courses, professors that are very involved, um, uh, 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 hackathons and conferences occurring, as well as um, a large amount of uh, impact and participation with with DAO governance in the space as a whole. So, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah, a lot of really interesting development and work there, um, and a lot that's happened in like a relatively short span of time. You know, it's only been what about four and a half years or so from beginning of 2018. Megan, those yeah, so like quite yep. a lot happening and essentially like becoming. Uh, an example or a model to point to for other major sort of academic institutions and stuff globally of like, you know, um, and, and I know there's, you know, there's bases at various places wherever. Um, but yeah, I think that's super dope. I find it interesting that you know, governance in itself became like a key area of focus in kind of mapping how the, you know, the blockchain kind of society or whatever at Columbia was going to govern itself. And then that sort of establishes ways of doing things that can then be like, oh, now we can participate in governance across these other major uh, DAOs and protocols and stuff like that. I think that's really interesting to see. Yep. And it really is a perfect marriage. I think I hope this model continues to be evolved to, to continue to be adopted in the future for DAOs because it, it student organizations get the opportunity to do something, quote unquote, real, something with high impact in, in, in their industry in this way. But at the same time, DAOs receive a delegate that is going to stand the test of time without needing any internal funding from, from participating in governance, uh, usually with reputable names, with, with, with delegates who are excited to participate, right? I think it's, it's very much a win-win in that case as becoming a, a massive educational and impactful opportunity for the students while being a, um, a sustainable, consistent delegate for the DAOs. Yeah, it's dope. Um, <clears throat> so looking at the timeline here, that essentially um, your time uh, with Blockchain in Columbia was wrapping in early 2020, which is essentially when you were also launching uh, Yup that you've been uh, building ever since. Um, I'd love to hear a little about like what that kind of uh, transition looked like or your first kind of steps. I imagine maybe that you'd already started tooling around with something Yup related while you were still um, still at the college and stuff like that. But yeah, like what did that kind of transition journey look like for you? And then I suppose, you know, we can dial back to what 2020 and 21 look like uh, for Yup, essentially, like the earlier days of the project. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think as, as president of Blockchain at Columbia, I sort of tripped and fell into a lot of awesome venture opportunities and got to participate and invest in bunch of startups and protocols in the space that I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, and, and did really well. Um, and, and, and through that developed an obsession, particularly with Web3 social or you know, decentralized social networks at the time. I actually wrote my undergraduate thesis on decentralized social networks while, while at Columbia um, and, and started to develop, develop my thinking there in regards to Yup with my co-founder Vernon, who also served as vice president and head of technical R&D uh, in different points uh, at Blockchain at Columbia, as well as wrote his undergraduate thesis on distributed storage solutions, you know, at the time, IPFS and, and things of the sort. Um, and, and really our core thinking there was, was, was thinking about Web3 content from a curator standpoint. And uh, what does it mean to 
to curate and have sort of control and autonomy over the content that you consume and how that can be used as a means of social consensus to distribute ownership over a social social network. And uh, that, that, that really evolved into what was the initial iteration of Yup, just really focused on rewarding and recognizing tastemakers and curators across the web uh, who are engaging with, you know, web two, web three content uh, and, and sort of, uh, giving distributing ownership to them over the platform and sort of a fair launch tokenized approach. Um, and over, over time saw the kind of evolution of the quality of web three social content that was emerging from these protocols. Um, uh, whether it be things like NFTs, PoApps, you know, mirror articles being a strong example, and then more recently lens and Farcaster, uh, but more about how, but, but even more interesting to us was how all of these were kind of starting to really, you know, center around the EVM, sort of the Ethereum virtual machine and, and the network effects around it. And the reason I like to talk about the EVM rather than just the Ethereum chain is because the the network effects transcend the, the Ethereum chain itself. And there's a lot of cases where things are either happening off chain, on side chains, on L2s or on separate chains that really uh, still benefit and compound the network effects around Ethereum. And so um we saw this kind of emerge and and, and really kind of really tried to center the the curation and 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 consolidation of content that was happening on yup to to be very evm focused um and and really you know have over time kind of framed our product to be an aggregator that uh essentially collects content that is mo would be most interesting to you from all EVM integrated platforms, both web two and web three, um, and, and leverage your, your on-chain and sort of chain related activity to uh, personalize and curate the best content for you. Um, with still you having control and, 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 and a lot of impact over what you see and your taste being a big input there, as well as a, a big mechanism for ownership, but really focused on the fact that all these big protocols and, and platforms are starting to adopt the same standards. Those standards are permissionless and our ability to aggregate them and create a feed that out, outperforms any of those individual platforms, including the web two ones, is something that starts to be very apparent. So that, that sort of was our, was our thinking in our evolution there. Um, and certainly, you know, our, our origins on, on Columbia's campus and in that community had a big impact on that. Thank you on the thing here. Yeah, I think the um, like a major unlock being your internet experience, your content curation and identity, all you know, re revolving around or orbiting your wallet essentially, your wallet address and everything that can be that can be linked to that. I think you know, reality is kind of doing doing a lot of favors to this idea when we see how Twitter has just completely changed and turned upside down over the last few months and you know, looking at the way the, you know, the content that's curated for you on these like sort of web two social apps or publishing apps and, and things like that. Like, why am I being served this content? I look at tw like a thing that's jumped out from Twitter recently is like all this content of people like having, you know, like beating up people and fights and violent incidents in the street and all that kind of, you know what I mean? Like so much of that content that's just like spilling across Twitter and no one's asking for it. I see a lot of people were talking about that last right. week. Like, why is this all appearing? on my feed and like having more uh, control or curation over our own content experience or our little garden, if you like. And then also 
being able to, you know, have content served to me from friends in my network and stuff like that. I think that's how we all actually want to use this stuff. And maybe in the earlier days of, of Facebook and other apps like that, it was like that. You were seeing content sequential from people that you follow on the network. And it was more of that kind of experience. And we're like a long way away from that now in terms of Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Totally. You know, our, our, our vision is, is that the, the content you should consume should be all about you and not the platform that you're on. And that's kind of how we want to, to, to approach it. And I think the, I mean, it's a, it, the classic kind of Chris Dixon S curve thesis around the misalignment between you and the platform certainly plays out in the case of content consumption and, 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 and the algorithm itself, right? And there's just a strong misalignment and incentives between what you're interested in, who your friends are, what content you would want to see and benefit from, not just in the immediate, but both in the long term, and uh, what the platform benefits from in terms of what they serve you, how they're curating content, um, and what they're censoring and moderating as well. Um, that does, just doesn't need to exist. But I think even more than that, there's just such a power in compounding the content occurring across the internet and across these platforms. Um, within some common context that is now given from these standards and, and, and how that can lead to you having an even better experience, right? There, there's more out there than what's just on Twitter or what's just on Facebook or what's just on whatever. Um, and it's still tied to you as the person. So why not be able to consume it in the way that you would like to from those platforms? And that's kind of the core the core thinking about what we're doing. And so people can think of you up today as a Web3 social aggregator. It's one feed that has a combination of all this content sort of ag aggregated and personalized to your interests based on what you've done on chain. And so we see Ethereum and the EVM as the social network rather than any one platform or protocol and you the individual as the social network in terms of what you're consuming and what you're putting out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think what's interesting as well across these various like uh, platforms or apps that are like built on the EVM, so Lens or Mira or any any of these ones, and they're all kind of, they're building in the same direction as well. And they're all sort of creating their own abilities to sort of mint natively on their platform. All of that content can then be aggregated across on, on Yup. But I do find it interesting that they're kind of now starting to interrelate in various ways, even for, you know, creators might start out uh, as we did, like UFO started out having a mirror blog and we're posting on Lens. But there's a piece of it where these things can start to become much more interoperable, not just as they surface on on Yup and your kind of homepage aggregated feed and all that kind of stuff. It's like I can be doing a drop on Lens or doing a minting an NFT on Zora or stuff like that. And then I can embed that into a mirror post. If it's minted on Mainnet, then I could also jump over on Farcaster or something like that click into that NFT and I can see everybody else on Farcaster who also minted and collected that NFT. So in terms of social discoverability, I feel like that's another huge uh, unlock to kind of find like-minded people who are also into this very niche thing that you just minted. 100%. And I think it's a hard thing for people who have spent their whole lives on traditional social networks like, like we have to wrap their hand or head around the notion that, you know, this content transcends the platform that it's on. It's following a standard that other platforms and protocols are also adhering to. And therefore it can be, it's it's composable, it's reusable across them and in very interesting ways and can be multifunctional 
in ways that it couldn't be before. You know, a piece of content can serve as access to a community in terms of you minting it or collecting it in these various forms or serve as a form of social uh, social proof, like the Farcaster example that you gave where a piece of content can be minted on chain, but the ownership of that can be something that has been reflected on a protocol like Farcaster, right? I, I think that we, we people will get more and more used to it uh, as they see more examples of it that impact their regular lives. Hey, this thing that I did over here is now usable over here or has some impact in terms of my mutual interest with other people over there um, that, that I think will we really start to compound. And I think through the example that that, that you gave with UFO and, and your and, and your origin, you know, I think it's interesting how certain parts of your community may connect with you and consume your content in in different ways. They may only see it on mirror. They may only consume with it, only consume it on lens. But when they end up on these other platforms or a completely third one, you know, a third esoteric one or whatever that meme is on Twitter, right? Um, they'll the, the 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 activity that they've done so far is already contextualized to the community and to UFO itself on this new platform, on this third protocol, on, on whatever it may be, in very powerful ways. You know, um, your your minting or collecting of a, a of 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 a post that serves as an NFT on the Polygon blockchain on Lens is something that can then be used to get your access to an article that's been written on Mirror or access to a Discord using Guild or whatever it may be. And so the, the fact that th these actions are adhering to these agreed upon standards over a, a, a very much growing community, the EVM as a whole, uh, gives them superpowers across these platforms in, in, in ways that uh, will just lead to completely new use cases and, and, and really exciting uh, features. Yeah, absolutely. Like for, for us at UFO as kind of um, media creators or we're like building out this network and stuff like that in terms of the strategy of how we want to do stuff, it kind of it's it's a game changer of like we want to publish here, we're going to do this here, but how we can interlink these things. We have subscribers on Lens, so maybe we can drop an NFT to them and then that unlocks a thing over here or, or whatever it is and how all these kind of things can stream together. You know, we're going to start doing live streams in the near future as well. Um, where, you know, we can be dropping NFTs to the feed, but maybe, you know, you need to hold a UFO Genesis pass in order to access that. So there's some little like very low barrier to entry, but essentially community keys to access and, and stuff like that, right? So we can kind of design all these interesting content experiences or events or community meetups or all that kind of stuff is available to us. But then on the other side, like if I'm a, if I'm a consumer of media or I'm a freelancer, a designer, an artist, a writer, a podcaster, a musician, whatever it is, I can now navigate this new internet and be like, oh, I'd like to participate or contribute to something like a, a UFO or Forefront or C Club or like all these different things. And I can simply jump across these various like spots and kind of interact with and join these communities and also produce content for the like all that kind of stuff. I feel like we're still in the earliest stages of, but it's going to really unravel this year is my feeling. Yes. And you yourself can do, can express it as a member of a community, can express it using your own tools and platforms that are, that are, that, that, that you are aligned with and, and want to use, but still be a part of this larger community because the community itself transcend the platforms that are used, right? If we take example, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know everywhere they exist, but you know, Wall Street bets from the from the GameStop era. Yep. You know, their their core place of communication is Reddit. Maybe they also have a Discord. Maybe they have a, a Twitter account. That's 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 uh, that's posting things, and 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 that might be the 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 extent to which they their digital footprint is as an official quote unquote community. And you may come on and and uh, and and want to engage with them on a completely new platform like mirror or linkedin or or something you know that they maybe aren't spending any time on well con- considering the walled gardens of web2 social and these web2 platforms you you aren't really tapping into the official or or you you have no you have no context of the social graph on that that exists on reddit when you are trying to form a community of those same wall street bets members on LinkedIn or on Mirror or you know any other example, you know whether it be Web two or Web three, um, whereas in, a, in 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 under these EVM standards in a Web three world, you can actually just say I'm going to use this Web three version of Discord and create a community for only people who have this NFT, and now all members of this NFT can join this Discord, and those are official members of this community somewhere else, right? To the case of UFO or whatever it may be, and so you're not even limited. As long as the platform you want to use is adhering to these standards to some extent, you're not limited to the platforms chosen by the existing community members. You can propagate the meme, you can grow the community, you can create something new and build on top of this existing uh, DAO or, or organization or community and uh, do it in your own way uh, while it's still being, quote unquote, a, an extension of that same of that same origin, right? And in, in a very powerful way that people don't really think about, but 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 is, is really prevalent in this, is, is really relevant in this case. Yeah, and it's kind of coming along with the, the wave of open source brands and the sort of CCO ideal uh, nouns is yeah. a very prominent example with the noggles and, and stuff like that. But the idea is like, oh, oh, well, we can talk about nouns. So like they're kind of, if they're here to propagate the meme, then they're not going to restrict anyone from launching any project they like using the noggles and, and, and or using a nounish kind of model to build their own project because that's what we're here for. And sort of flattening flattening the kind of community in that way where I, I, it raises really interesting uh, questions <clears throat> and ideas of like, let's say you've, you've, founded, you've founded a thing, you've founded a media network, or whatever it is, but then anyone that can say collect this NFT or uh, having an interesting conversation with Rafa, uh, Rafa the Builder uh, just recently, which uh, episode 19 uh, for UFO, but talking about this as well, where it's kind of like people can essentially participate and earn their spot as well. So it doesn't need to be financialized. Maybe you don't need to buy into a project like this or buy a financialized NFT. Maybe it's just like you need to take various actions kind of on chain and kind of through effort, you can earn a seat at the table and you too can like launch something through there. Like all this stuff is like kind of revolutionary, I think, you know, it's like a decade or two ago, you couldn't just spin up your own Rolling Stone or you know, boiler room channel and like use their brand to launch your own content. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And, 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 and the context, the cross-platform context that, that comes with that, I think is, is really going to allow this meme propagation to happen at overdrive. Right. I think in the same way that something that a CC zero just has a much higher likelihood of, of propagating than something that is not because people feel more comfortable in terms of, of leveraging it to whatever they want to build. But even more so when you when you're using these 
sort of on-chain and open standards, um, you know, you, you get that impact tenfold where people can actually contextualize the other things you're doing in whatever they're doing in their form based on these standards, right? And I think NFTs being a strong example of that, but sort of any form of EVM related or on-chain activity, I think is, 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 is a good example of that, you know, to, to the point of, of nouns, when nouns are purchased or minted or transferred uh, or people vote on nouns proposals, that is something that is either on chain or chain adjacent that is a form of content that is a form of social activity that's relevant for friends to see that create these common bounds and, and cultures among people on any platform on any on, on anything associated with that not necessarily you know the the nouns auction site where you're where you're where you're bidding on or buying per se and i think that that kind of thing is insanely powerful where you know never before has you know an auction also given you some an, an asset that's a form of content that's a form of access and membership that might also be ownership over a uh, treasury right that for, for it to have these multifunctional use cases and for those to be essentially boundless anything that wants to build on top of that in that form can you know um and and, and we are up think specifically about the content side of those things and the fact that that action might be a form of social content that is entertaining and interesting to people who know you and are interested in what you're creating. Uh, but I think it has endless use cases and, 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 and features, some of which we, we can't even conceive of yet, but I think are, are starting to see glimpses of. Yeah, I think that's, that's again, sort of like echoing this point of like EVM as the social network. And I think it's a great example of the on-chain proposals and governance of something like nouns that's kind of like, you know, transparently available to everybody. And it is a, a piece of content and then becomes a driving piece of conversation in the week that the vote is happening, especially if it's contentious um, or whatever. And yeah, the fact that it's all open and like echoing like what we we're saying before about DAOs maybe are not the future of work, but they're rather they are social networks. So like me wanting to interact with one of these um, with one of these projects or communities, I could pick up bounties or I could make a proposal to do some work for for this DAO and to like contribute in the community. But even if I don't do that, if I'm just a member and I'm voting on proposals or you know thinking about it and being involved in those conversations and within the community, that like that's more social networky um as well but yeah very interesting in terms of how this like interrelates to the token gated you know to the tokenized access way we've seen over the last year and a half and i think guild kind of being a prominent tool for for, for leveraging that we ran some really awesome experiments with forefront when we when we released our article by myself and, and joey um around uh tokenized access and subscriptions we actually gated the article not just in ff tokens but Having a certain amount of YUP tokens would give you access to the to the article. Having a certain amount of FWB tokens gave you access to the article. And our ability to kind of permissionlessly associate ourselves and align ourselves with other communities and give people access to content from ours is another form of contribution and kind of growing the pie and meme propagation that I think is insanely compelling. Where, you know, it, it, in the past, if you if you had created a an event at one of these conferences and there was an Eventbrite ticket associated with that event for someone else to permissionlessly leverage that ticket to align themselves with your community to allow anybody who participated in that event for example to come to their event or consume their content or join their community is such a powerful kind of means of propagation that i think is going to continue to catch on in terms of 
and, and it really highlights this point of EVM as a social network, right? Where the, the initial community and that initial action you took, you, the community you took the action with or the action itself aren't required in the process of another community, another person, another whatever, leveraging that, aligning itself with that, expanding upon the benefits or the impact that that thing has and kind of propagating its meme. Uh, and, and, and that, that leads to boundless sort of opportunities. And, and, and I think we're going to see more and more kind of unique use cases from that. Yeah, absolutely. And for, you know, a, a member of the broader web three ecosystem community, whatever you want to say, I feel like that is also like shifting your kind of content consumption, curation, behavior, collect, like collecting kind of vibe. It's kind of you know, like if open editions are going out or a free mint or, you know, claim a, a PO app is, is a very popular example, but it sort of drives this, like this, this feeling of like, well, I'm going to collect stuff that I'm into because who knows what that might unlock later as well, you know, like, right. so it's almost like demonstrating what you're into or curating your own, your own kind of content environment or the communities that you engage with can unlock other contextual content and experiences later as well like this thing just sort of compounds and compounds and therefore it's almost like you're incentivized to take action to collect what you're into to mark these things on chain because your internet experience will benefit from that especially in a world where content itself starts to become very saturated the notion of truth or reality is very obscured uh and like people have a hard time like having a clear understanding of what truly happened the stuff that you that you put on chain will be a form of social proof that will be close to unmatched you know several months ago i i remember posting a a post on farcaster asking people what the what is the what form of status can't be bought right um how what what, what type of status can't be bought and i think one of the one of the strongest uh, points that people made was Earliness, like earliness is a type of status that's hard to hard to recreate after the fact or purchase after the fact. And I think that this this record of you doing things on chain or, or within this EVM ecosystem will serve as a form of that, as a form of receipt, as a form of, you know, I was here before it was cool or I helped make this cool in a way that people won't be able to take from away from away from you and 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 won't be able to buy into necessarily in that same way and, and 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 in a world where where truth itself becomes very fickle things like this might have even more value in our social lives i'd like to shift gears a little or, or delve a little deeper into like you know we're talking about yup as a platform for aggregation across you know or an app for aggregation across all these different uh, evm uh, publishing spots and things, but I'd like to kind of explore more about like the features current day about like what's actually there aside from, yes, I'm going to have like an aggregated or curated, uh, feed like rolling through on Yup, but like, yeah, what's sort of under the hood in terms of, uh, features and what's being built out and potentially what's in the, the middle distance of the roadmap. Definitely. So we're, we're currently announcing our, uh, mobile beta app. Uh, we have been working on a mobile app for, for a bit, for a bit and uh, not beyond just the core features that we'll have around uh, aggregation and what may pe people may have seen on uh, the web app. It's going to have and has very interesting 
um, features around curation, content moderation, uh, as well as other forms of aggregation that are slowly making their way into the, the social network experience. And so a big one that people may notice in, in trying out the app for the first time would be uh, filters. So we actually allow people to create multiple feeds and filter those feeds in ways that they seem fit, whether it be by specific platforms, by specific keywords, uh, specific time ranges or anything of the above, as well as a conscious sort of uh, seeing people that are related to you specifically and, and a feed that's tailored to your personalized experience and activity on chain or one that's more like in the discover approach uh, across Web3. And, and, and this is really in line with sort of our user-centric focus on aggregation. So the, the idea is not just to bring you everything, but bring it to you specifically based on who you are and the footprint that you have sort of uh, in, within the EVM. Uh, that's, that's, that's incredibly important to us. And so beyond just uh, being able to aggregate, users will soon be able to cross post to those platforms. So imagine posting once and it posting to uh, Twitter, Lens and Farcaster all at once, uh, as well as uh, being able to comment and engage with content directly on those platforms uh, from Yup. So really kind of interesting things there. In addition to that, uh, users can search very deeply on Yup across these platforms and for various profiles. Uh, our search feature is one of the most built out uh, for aggregated search in Web3. Um, so if you're looking for, if you're, if you're trying to learn more about a specific topic or find content around a specific person or whatever it may be across the EVM, yeah, it might be one of the best places to do that. Uh, we have a robust aggregated social profile for users that takes into account your handles and usernames as well as avatars across these platforms and aggregates them and allows you to kind of pick and choose how you want to showcase yourself in aggregate. So if you have a lens handle or a forecaster username or an ETH address uh, or a ENS uh, uh, domain, uh, those will show those will show and be showcased on on Yup in your profile, um, and all the content from all those platforms will be aggregated on your profile as well. So if you've written a mirror article or minted PO apps uh, or um, uh, transferred NFTs or whatever it may be, uh, all of that would show up in your profile, and users can can use Yup to uh, essentially track what you're doing across the EVM uh, on that. Uh, it creates a really interesting narrative and story as around as as people start to have on-chain activity. As many recall, Vitalik kind of did a Web3 run of, a few months ago, and it was very interesting to see how that content was being aggregated on the app uh, and how users can kind of see him walk through and, and use these different platforms all in one place and have kind of a cohesive story around it. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, a core part of our thesis is leveraging open standards and protocols that are being largely adopted by the EVM. Uh, a community and ecosystem uh, and using it to create the best sort of cohesive uh, social experience that we can for users. So other things that we're exploring and, and, and starting to build out include uh, push notifications that aggregate uh, activity and actions happening around these protocols and platforms, chat, uh, you know, various chat inboxes that you may have in other platforms and protocols being aggregated into one place as well and you being able to communicate with any of those uh, individuals or ETH addresses across those protocols um, while still having the context of who that profile is on Yup. So someone reaches out to you and you might not have them in your contact list in, in a traditional social network. In this case, you might see the interest that you and them have together or 
uh, a specific platform that you may follow them on or on Lens or Farcaster or some other thing that you and them may have in common um, from the moment that they DM you and be able to kind of interact with them directly. So, so kind of super excited about about those use cases and continuing to leverage and kind of grow with the standards and protocols that evolve around Web3 social. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think a key thing here as well is kind of bringing the Web3 uh, experience to mobile. And as you say, like push notifications and being able to be, you know, away from your computer or out and about, but like a mint or a drop happens, or maybe you need to be like, you know, voting on governance or through some, you know, proposal or, or whatever it is, like being able to be connected on mobile. And, you know, I, I feel like a question people might have is like, how does DMs and messaging and stuff work on platforms or through the EVM and um, a bit about how these DMs can be composable, essentially like, you know, uh, open standard with XMTP, for example, and like, I, yeah, I, I'd like to ask that question coming coming from zero. Like, how does that even work? How, how does messaging work uh, through something like this? Definitely. So, you know, messaging as as a protocol is is a is a pretty mature product or or, or feature. You know, I mean, messaging protocols protocols exist in very traditional social networks and platforms as well. Things like WhatsApp or, or Signal or Telegram might be good examples of that sort of end-to-end -end encrypted messaging um, is, is, is pretty common these days. I think what's unique about Web3, the Web3 approaches to the things like XMTP have to do with uh, the, the decentralization around the security and hosting of these communications. So, you know, in a world where WhatsApp went down or Signal went down or Telegram went down, even though you and my communications are end-to-end -end encrypted and no one else can, can see them, those would also go down and we would not have access to them anymore. And so if there's any central point of failure around the hosting of content, that can be a form of censorship or a form of, um, of inactivity that can be achieved at the, at the government level or just as, you know, sometimes just as failures or whatever. Um, in traditional versions of this or Web2 versions of this that uh, with Web3 protocols like XMT, you're able to overcome. But I think even more compelling for Yup is the ETH address as the main source of identity on these uh, Web3 uh, messaging protocols that are emerging, um, is that the way you message between individuals is now a anonymous uh, platform agnostic identity. Whereas in the past, it may be something like an email, which is harder to anonymize and, um, has its own challenges and so on, or something like a phone number, which is, you know, I, I think uh, even more difficult to anonymize in a lot of these cases. So just using uh, a, a new identity standard for how people message each other and how they identify themselves in the messages that they're having, uh, that I think is is most interesting here for people like me and, and for Yab as a whole, uh, be, because, regardless of where someone um, uh, communicates with you from, they're able to identify you in the same way. Um, and then the other, the other point is kind of the permissionlessness uh, associated with, with something like XMTP. So XMTP allows anybody to permissionlessly communicate with anybody else. Um, 
as, as long as that other person is, is approving the message and kind of and interacting with them, right? So I think that part of it is, is very powerful as well, meaning an, a new platform can emerge, leverage a protocol like XMTP, and there's enormous amount of composability that comes from that, right? And we're already starting to kind of see that emerge uh, between several uh, apps that, are, that have incorporated XMTP so far, and I think many more that are, that are to come soon. So what, what we may see around something like XMTP and, and Web3 chat is sometime in the next six to eight months, a, a large amount of wallets, a large amount of uh, dApps, a large amount of, of, of social media applications leveraging XMTP as their messaging standard and messaging protocol. Um, and inboxes across those platforms uh, being composable. And uh, the, what that really means for consumers is that they may open a new favorite app go to messages on that app and see their existing messages from the previous app they were using from the other um uh you know app or whatever that they were interacting with um you know some places that are leveraging xmtp so far include like leinster and converse um, but i think soon we'll see just a large amount of wallets and and, and apps leveraging that um and for up that that's something that's a you know, right up the alley of our focus in terms of aggregation and a perfect example of how we plan on leveraging kind of EVM composability to build a cohesive uh, social media experience. Um, you know, so users, when they chat on Yup with other, uh, uh, with their friends or other users who have ETH addresses or whatever it may be, uh, those, those interactions aren't limited to just Yup. They're not limited to any other app or platform. They actually transcend all platforms and exist on this XMTP protocol in this case. Yeah. Very, very cool. And I have like a clarifying question as well that I imagine the listener may have um, in mind is like, we talk about this, you know, EVM chat is working on rails of an encrypted communication kind of protocol or whatever. Um, but the idea that it never goes down. So that means if I'm chatting with friends and stuff like that, does that mean that any of these chats might be, you know, stored somewhere that are readable on chain or something like that? Or how does the encryption work to kind of, because obviously, yes, we can be communicating anonymously from given Ethereum addresses, but if I have my name or, you know, the, a lot of the conversation we're having is about your social identity and your wallet is being, being you, which can be pseudo anonymous or you can be using your real name. So in terms of the, right. the chat and stuff like that, I'm curious because I feel like that is another little kind of consumer meme of like on-chain messaging is there for, you can just you know, open Etherscan and, and read all my messages. You know what I mean? Totally. So the way to think about it is your, your messages need to be hosted somewhere. Um, you know, and with, with something like WhatsApp, let's say, or even Signal, they're, they're hosted on uh, centralized servers. Uh, and the goal of something like XMTP is for them to be distributed and stored across multiple nodes that are completely independent. And the idea being that there's no central point of failure, right? So your, yours and mine messages, you know, if, 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 if WhatsApp wanted to turn, wanted to, erase them, they could, even if they can't read them because they're encrypted, they have the ability to erase them because they're the ones that are hosting them, right? Or less nefariously, they might just mess up and accidentally erase them or get hacked and that's why they get erased, right? Um, there, there's various reasons why a central, a central point of failure for this kind of content hosting is a concern and, and that Web3 approaches to this solve it. Um, 
but uh, it's not necessarily hosted on chain. I would say the way to think about it is that it's hosted across those nodes um, and uh, is end-to-end is -end encrypted. And so um, it, it would not, it would never be a situation where uh, someone could go on Etherscan and read them or, or Polygon scan or any, any EVM chain. Um, it could be the case at some point that those things are decrypted. You know, I think there's no absolute guarantee that those things will be that those conversations will be encrypted forever, um, given just the nature of cryptography. Uh, but they're much safer in terms of uh, the 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 longevity and, and of of the content itself. That no no individual platform or app going down or choosing not to host your content anymore or whatever can lead to yours and mine conversation going away. Nor can any individual app or platform limit other other apps or, or platforms from, from using that same standard and protocol and showing me the same, uh, the, the, the showing that same inbox and those same communications between me and you or whatever. Yeah. So it's going to be a very interesting, another kind of, uh, trend to watch through this year and stuff like that adoption of these sort of web three chat kind of things. Cause you know, everyone's still be using uh, discord, telegram, Twitter, DMS, like all those things still rattling along. So it's going to be interesting to see the kind of transition into more and more uh, adoption of these kind of Web3 native um, spots, something to watch. Um, we're doing something uh, exciting together, a collaboration between UFO and Yup to uh, invite uh, listeners and UFO subscribers and essentially everyone uh, to come and dial into the beta uh, wait list for the, the Yup mobile app. Um, which will be, so this has been something fun for us to kind of jam on again, as we're talking about like all these sort of cross platform kind of stuff that you can do, um, with, with the community. So what we've like come around to is, uh, we're going to drop like a, a mirror post on UFO, which is essentially your, your portal into this. And you will have the opportunity to, uh, register for the Yup uh, wait list. And if you're a UFO subscriber on mirror or lens, you will also be on the allow list to mint an NFT. Um, and then that will also give you, you know, a slight priority on that wait list as well. So here's how we're kind of playing with these various sort of Web3 uh, mechanics to create something uh, interesting. And also, you know, kind of um, essentially like we're creating rewards for the UFO community to kind of be able to engage and jump straight into uh, using Yup, which has been cool. Totally, and uh, I think also what's going to be exciting is is seeing people's engagement with these various pieces of content and forms of access that we create around this launch, and seeing that story unfold on Yup that that I think will be very compelling to people. So I'm super excited to see that from the from the Yup perspective, and and a lot of those individuals that get access to the mobile app um, uh, during this 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 campaign, uh, seeing that that unfold uh, in in front of their eyes, people kind of minting these nfts signing up for the for the wait list but also getting onboarded and then seeing that that story be told in terms of reading that content in terms of the mirror article directly on yep seeing those mirror posts and and reactions to them directly on uh, sorry the, the lens post and those reactions to them directly on yep uh, as well as those nfts starting to, to to build traction and excitement on farcaster and so you know all that kind of being culminating to one one sort of cohesive story and and, and interesting experience uh, directly on Yup itself and and all on mobile from from the 
from, from your pocket. Yeah, something that we've been experiencing in, in conversation over the last month or two and stuff as we kind of jammed on what has become this drop mechanic, if you like, or this campaign that we're doing together. And also huge shout out to Yup for joining UFO as sponsors as well. We're very excited um, to welcome you all uh, on board as well and super appreciate it, of course. Um, but our conversations have been very meta. I will feel like as we kind of delve into like these various platforms and types of content that we can create that can kind of, you know, inception folks into this thing, as you say, like we, we can post across mirror and lens and, and, and Twitter and these various places, and then they'll all surface in, in yup itself and can be experienced, uh, from, from that side as well. And, um, you know, it's also got that element of, um, being able to claim this, this NFT, uh, means that you were an, uh, an earlier subscriber to UFO as well. And then it's also going to mean that you were an earlier adopter of Yup as well. And we're going to have, you know, that's going to, that's going to, uh, exist, continue to exist into the future. You know, this kind of interesting, verifiable, um, you know, piece. Uh, I, yeah, I dig it. Me too. I think, uh, and, and, and for that to, you know, to be a moment in history that can then, be referred to, used as a form of content, used used as a form of community or alignment. Here are a group of people who were here with me at this moment, sort of marked in history. And what 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 do we have in common? What content are we creating? Whatever it may be, is something that can then be uh, uh, utilized on Yup. And so I think people will be really excited to to try the mobile app. We'll we'll find it as sort of refreshing in in the form that it aggregates. Uh, their favorite content in one place, but also how immediately they start to see content from people they recognize, people who own the things they own, are interested in the things that they interest are interested in, or are doing actions that that they would find really uh, entertaining or interesting in some fashion from from a social standpoint. Yeah, one one observation we've had in conversation is kind of the the rapidly evolving and growing like lens ecosystem and the community of of uh, creators and curators and stuff who are present there. Um, I'm part of a, a sort of group chat over there as well that the Lens team's been building out for like podcasters on the app. Like that's a grow, like a steadily growing cohort of of folks who are who are dropping in and stuff. Um, but something that I've picked up from people very keen on Lens is like like in the creator archetype is like they're very keenly looking for new apps launching on Lens, new tools they can use. And essentially like new mechanics for NFTs they can play with, new ways that, you know, uh, audiences can collect their stuff or engage with what they're putting out and all that kind of thing. And I'm very interested to see how that energy also kind of, you know, evolves across to to Yup as well. And how like the sort of opportunities for creators to be like, who are experimenting and jamming and dropping stuff on Lens with all the kind of enthusiasm of like the first six months of Instagram, if you know what I mean? Like when people were figuring out like, what, what is this platform? Like what, what is the right kind of content to be creating here? The kind of working out their own language. It's a lot of like, they're all early as well. It is because it's a, because it's in beta still in lens and stuff like that. So they are early adopters, but now I'm excited to see that we're doing this like collaboration with Yup as well. And as you know, you launching the, the mobile app and I'm really interested to see what the lens community does as well, because now we're kind of getting this aggregated feed all together in one place and it kind of unlocks an, a new kind of uh, toolkit or playground. Definitely. And, and 
you know, we think that the cross-pollination between these sub-communities and sub-networks is, is something that people will really enjoy with Yup and, and seem to have so far and sort of the, the experiments and iterations we're doing with users. Um, this notion of, you know, you may have never been on uh, Lens before and be an active Farcaster user and experience Lens content on Yup in a way that feels contextualized to you, is from people that you already follow or are engaged with to some other capacity on the platforms you did interact with, um, and suddenly feels very kind of at home and relevant and contextual to, to things that you're interested in uh, uh, from day one. Um, and, and similarly, vice versa, people who may have you know never been on Farcaster before but have been super active on Lens or interacting with these platforms or whatever, being able to engage with that. You know, I think creators especially are excited about the notion of kind of being able to cross post and, and exist on these other uh, protocols and platforms without needing to spend as much time on any of the individual ones that I think will be very interesting here. I think, especially from a creator standpoint and the way that creators interact with Web2 social networks, this is something that's gonna be a massive um, value add to them. Uh, and, and, and lastly, this, this notion that, you know, some, some users have never been on Web3 social before at all, but have done a lot of things on chain or in the context of the EVM or in the context of DeFi or whatever it may be, uh, that now feed into uh, personalized, relevant, contextualized content for them and, and things that they're interested in that I think will also be just a you know, very refreshing for people who are, are maybe on the fence about uh, making that leap into Web3 social and have spent most of their time on crypto Twitter. You know, our core belief, especially with the launch of, of, of mobile and, and this announcement is that the, the aggregation of, of, of EVM as a whole is going to lead to a more entertaining, interesting, relevant feed than crypto Twitter on its own. Right. And, 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 and people, I think will really start to see that. And, and there's a, you know, exponentially compounding effect from that as more as more people take that leap, uh, it starts to really build up in, in very interesting ways. And so just super exciting about how see people people see that and experience that for themselves on the app, as well as, you know, the new ways that creators, you know, leverage that and, and incorporate that into their strategies that uh, we can't even predict yet on how that will play out. Yeah, absolutely. I really dig that. Um... Incidentally, you know, with UFO launching at the end of September 22, and we've mucked about, did experiments being um, reasonably early on Lens, and we kicked off like publishing on Mira, and we've done other experiments and more to come, including this drop with Yup is like another new uh, thing that's been really fun to kind of bring together. Um, but as you can imagine, like there's, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people hitting us up interested in like how we've been doing things and sort of what we've learned like in running these various experiments like what did we discover by doing stuff they're working on their own experiments and so we'll like there's a lot of that kind of jamming together and and figuring stuff out which i'm really digging at the moment and you know certainly with ufo we've got some things like behind the scenes that we're planning to drop over the next couple months as well that sort of represent new experiments and ways that this sort of network um, is growing out, which we're kind of, uh, you know, kind of excited about. Um, but then seeing, yeah, how it, how it manifests across in this new space, as you say as well, we'd like say Farcaster users starting to get a taste for lens and, and vice versa, like being a little early in some of these spaces, it's exciting to think about some kind of, you know, veterans of crypto Twitter starting to join these places as well, or even people who are building incredible things 
but they're not that active on Twitter really, but maybe some of these new kind of social spaces will be more conducive and they can participate, uh, you know, in, in a better way. And, and if it's difficult to kind of capture a signal on crypto Twitter at this point, it's no longer 20, you know, 2018, 19 was a really nice time for crypto Twitter. You could make a case, I guess, but it was like, it felt a lot, it felt like being in a, you know, a chat group of 5,000 people or, or whatever. But now it's a little more difficult to kind of have that stuff surfacing. So I feel like this sort of Web3 social arc might be helping to to bring that back, you know, to, to recover that that feed that we had before. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing we didn't speak about was this notion that, you know, for a lot of these creators also, Web2 social is forcing their hand to some extent. You know, some of them being blocked or suspended in one form or another um, on, on these social networks, but also I think just the enormous amount of, you know, bot activity and, and noise that's happening yeah. on them as they've grown and, and the incentives have, have become misaligned that, that I think really hurt the consumer experience. You know, I don't think there's a day that I don't get multiple notifications on Twitter that are solely bots and, and, and super clear, annoying level of, of bots and content. I don't think that's going to go away. I think that's going to grow substantially on these networks, especially as the generation of content becomes something that's even easier to do. And, you know, I think that the wave of AI and, uh, you know, chat GPT-4 recently, recently coming out, I think would just be more and more the case. And, and one of the, one of the beautiful use cases of, of Web3 Social is how you're able to amass both a reputation and a notion of humanity associated with an address uh, that will allow for, and, and the control that it gives you as the individual that together allow for a much more uh, moderated experience that you yourself get to tailor, right? So being able to essentially erase anybody who is not relevant to you based on, based on activity in terms of your online and social experience is something we think is going to be kind of very exciting and, and compelling and a good use case of the app. But even as, you know, the EVM grows beyond that 5,000 person chat group feel that will still have that, you'll have that feel or that level of control to have that feel if, should you yourself choose to do so. And that the, the network that you're on will know enough about you without having control over you to essentially curate that experience for you, right? I think it's something that would be really exciting here. Yeah, and something that's going to resonate with consumers, basically. Um... It feels like a lot of what we talk about in crypto or something like DAOs or something like that, or even NFTs in themselves getting reduced to monkey pictures or whatever, and people not fully grasping it. But if it's like you can have a better experience on social media, period, um, and it just works better in that way, it's, it's just like one of those sort of uh, zeitgeist shifting things where I think when people wrap their minds around it, it took people a long time to start using email. So, yeah, I, I'm... I'm excited about Web3 Social as a mechanism to drive adoption more, more broadly. And everything we've spoken about in this episode gives me more confidence about that. Um, you noted something there quickly, which we had intended to kind of round out um, the episode with because it's just happened in the last couple of days. But chat GBT for, um, you know, holy shit sort of moment. I'd love to kind of... Um, you know, we're seeing all this wild stuff coming up on Twitter now, various experiments, things people are doing with it. Yeah, I'd love to kind of hear your early impressions. I know you're, you know, um, quite a, a keen user of the technology. 
Definitely. I, I wanted to touch on what you said uh, just at the end of that previous point and also yeah. to your conversation with Rafa about, uh, you know, just social being a strong entry point and people earning their way uh, into the Web3 world with, with activity. You know, I think the whole DeFi era, while creating a lot of killer products and, and really interesting use cases for Web3, has a high entry and one that's capital intensive. And I think that Web3 social will serve as a gateway to uh, crypto that is largely labor intensive or kind of socially intensive in, in ways that I think uh, will be really interesting and just allow for a lot more people to participate and engage, right? There's no buy-in in terms of cost upfront um, and you can derive real value from it without needing to buy anything or, or invest in anything uh, in the beginning. And so I think that, that that's going to be a very interesting and important part of all of this as well, is just a whole new avenue for people to participate in a way that's free, in a way that is uh, value creative without necessarily starting from, from a capital intensive place. So I think that all of that is really interesting. And I think we'll, we'll, you know, people will earn their way into a part of Web3 that will form that has nothing to do with uh, you know, making money up upfront or whatever uh, in the way that I think the, the trading and DeFi side of, or even NFT marketplaces have sort of brought in a lot of people around those things. Mm, um, so yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about that. But uh, to your point about AI and of course GPT-4 being such a interesting, powerful moment, um, you know, I, I've noticed a few things that, that I think will really be, you know, uh, um, big, big, uh, big, big changes here in impact. So one is I've been experimenting a lot with the, the Microsoft Edge AI extension with Bing and so on, which exists essentially within your browser and, and runs GPT directly in, in your browser as something that feels like a browser extension, sort of like a side jar tab for you know within your with your within your browser for those that may have not seen it. Uh, and one of the big benefits and 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 things about it is like first it's in your browser, so it's able to read the sites that you're on and do things in real time that would be harder to do. Uh, with GP, with ChatGPT and require you to essentially copy paste into the you know the the the, the ChatGPT interface in a way that's that's annoying and and doesn't create that full on like experience. But the other one is that it's not limited to 2021 the way that the GPTs are. It's able to do things in real time. It's looking up things on the internet. It's referencing and citing things for you in in, in real time as well. And so just very interesting. But you know, the main thing I want to mention there, that was an insight that I took away from, from my usage of it, and I do use it almost every day, um, is how I consume content as not only how I create content from a generative standpoint, but how I consume it from, from you know, from, from, from an absorption standpoint or like from, from, you know, so for example, you know, just reading in, to mention him twice in this, in this podcast just shows how much I like the guy, David Phelps, most recent article from, from two days ago about the bailout or you know the, the the brink that we're having with um with SVB uh is that I found myself and I think David's hearing this for the first time not even reading the article but actually summarizing it um, and communicating with the chat in terms of what I wanted to know about the article so it wasn't just you know give me a TLDR of this but it was give me a TLDR that's exactly four paragraphs that's in the voice of the author right so I can get something that is the size of what I'm willing to consume right now um, but still in the voice of the author, but was even able to ask it questions like, you know, derive from me the most original insights of this article, right? And so just being able to kind of ask an article exactly what I want from it and how to learn from it just feels to be much more to be the case of how we are going to consume this content. You know, I think another example of this would be like Bible GPT for those that haven't checked that out. 
there's a site called BibleGPT.com or something like that um, that essentially allows you to ask the Bible questions, right? And and it kind of references things only directly from uh, uh, the Bible in an interesting way. And so I think we're going to see more and more of those things where we're just like consuming, we're communicating with content rather than just consuming it. Um, and and uh, so that's 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 definitely something that we're thinking a lot about in the context of Yup, like. Are people really going to be consuming content with from feeds? Are they going to be summarizing them in some way? Um, how are they interacting with that content? Will that still happen in the form of you know classic interfaces like buttons and inputs and comments, or will it be something that's more voice enabled? You know, I think that that whole medium is something that's that, that's very interesting to us. But uh, um, another one that that that's an insight that we've been thinking a lot about is you know gen generative AI allows everybody to be creators, meaning it's really easy to create a piece of art with Dolly to, to create a, uh, you know, a nice tweet or a funny tweet with, with, uh, with GPT. Um, and so in a world where everybody can be a creator, maybe curators are the new creators. And, 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 you know, Gabby has a great article about this where she's not necessarily talking about AI, but she's making this point about where the trends are going. Gabby Goldberg uh, called curators are the new creators. And essentially the point being that tastemaking in a world where everything is either, you know, generative, a remix, a meme, um, how you put things together is actually the new form of creation. I think this only becomes more and more the case as uh, the quantity of content starts to massively grow uh, with, with generative AI. And so um, I think people should think about that a lot as well in terms of what it means to have a brand and what it means to create content in a world where, anybody can create content at, 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 of any kind that leverages anything that's been done before and so on. And so uh, we, as a, as, a, as a mechanism of curation and, and content consumption, think very deeply about those two things uh, in the context of this new AI world. Yeah. I, I'm struck by this, this change here, this idea that anyone can be a creator, anyone can be a writer, anyone can you know, create insightful tweets or takeaways from a thing and all that kind of stuff. There's so much that GPT does and offers, but just seizing on this one point for a second where it's kind of like if if it can write for people now or we can feed it inputs that can feed stuff out, it's sort of like you send, like what becomes the most valuable thing? And like you're making the point that it becomes about curation but i'm also very interested in the creation piece like so david's just written this great article that or um, essay or you want to say this great piece that people are really resonating with and it's sort of like uh and i guess this is a piece of what yup and aggregation is about in general but it's like this is a a sort of heartfelt piece it's a very personal article in a way or from his point of view and his own insights and experiences and stuff like that um, but how am I best to like discover pieces like that if that's what I resonate with in an ocean of stuff that's just being produced by AI and pumped out online? Do you know what I mean? And like the value of the written word um, has almost never been lower over the last 20 years. We see like investigative journalism being defunded and all this kind of stuff and, you know, the, the buzz feeds and the kind of the, the clickbait stuff, which I think we've already evolved long past or, or whatever, but we're, we're swimming in this like ocean of content uh, more and more now, we don't even need in, in like individuals to be writing it or whatever. So it's kind of like I don't know. It raises a lot of very interesting philosophical and and cultural questions. Uh, I feel like totally, and I don't think it's it's a hundred percent clear how it plays out. Uh, 
you know, I haven't seen anyone who I think has a, a super clear grasp on it. But some of the things that come to mind for me are just kind of one of the value things is it really requires you to surface or have like a non-trivial original point because you know that those that are consuming consuming it are able to just cut through the fluff to the thing that's most interesting to them. And so you'll, you'll have to think about your content as being something that's less consumed the way that you prepared it and more being extracted for what is valuable to each person and kind of mod- modified in a way that that is beneficial to them rather than um you know kind of presented the way you 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 chose to form to, to to format it right i think the way that that writing and 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 media in general has been thus far um but i think it's also the, the signaling is really important and people's individual identities and brands and alignments become really important where it's less about what you know how nick said it and more about what he said right and that signal coming from you and what that impact means for what i'm trying to understand that becomes kind of more important, right? Um, I think, in, you know, to the case of, of of David's article and the way that I that I consumed it, you know, my big takeaways had to do with just thinking about um, economic recessions from a psychological place and the psychological trauma associated with um, uh, um, that that uh, you know that 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 experience that that. Uh, that David had and the point that he's trying to make there versus, you know, maybe in the past, or I, I wouldn't have read that article immediately the way that, or consumed that article in the way that I did immediately. I would have put it off for this weekend, maybe gone to when I got to it. Now I, I know the, the, the main signal that I need to know, right. Or like that, that, that is most important for me to take away from that and am able to kind of think about that, move it on, reference it in this podcast. Right. I, I, we wouldn't really be talking about that article if I hadn't summarized it in that way, because maybe I wouldn't have read it so far. So I think it's those kind of things where I know how David feels faster, maybe better, because it's there's less noise around it, and it's only specifically what is relevant to me that that I'm consuming. Um, but also the fact that it's him becomes much more important than the way he wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this case, that I think might be relevant. Super dig that. Uh, along with everything else that we're seeing playing out on Twitter of just like, oh, look, like I, I drew a sketch on a, on a piece of paper and it built a website for me uh, instantly. Um, the, the now traditional, like I, I fed a smart contract into it and it found all the vulnerabilities and then showed how to exploit them and also how to like solve for them in advance, all that kind of stuff. Um, and just like how quickly it can be done and how it just drops the the economic barrier to some of this work in a way that's both uh, you know, positive, potentially negative, to, depending on your perspective. You know, if I, if I was a copywriter and I previously would be knocking out an article for a given given thing, or you know, a good example is like an an art project, or let's say like a, a crypto company that needs to create a bunch of like written content across their website, explaining what they are, what they're about. You know, they're kind of copy basically just some written written content previously that was a gig someone would come in and 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 pitch for or quote for and now it can be fed into gpt and and spat back something that's like very decent uh almost instantaneously so it's a boon for startups and saving some some costs on that um but just a, a new sort of challenge if you're kind of trying to make your way 
in this space, essentially like various uh, functions, roles, bounties you may have been able to claim for before are kind of shifting shifting now thanks to this this new tech. So I feel like it's going to accelerate a lot of stuff in a great way. Um, you know, things can just happen quicker. Projects can get out there faster. Um, so it is going to help startups in a lot of ways. But on the on the other side, obviously, there's the kind of the human level of like, well, now that's a person's not being paid to do various of these functions. Yeah. And just to touch on the point we made earlier about the the earliness of things and the the actions, you know, the, the history associated with the actions that you do within the EVM, you know, what what's going to be impossible to generate three years from now is being right the way that I think David is now with the article he wrote today, right? The the, the signal and the, the 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 validity of the point he made and how it ends up playing out in terms of predicting certain outcomes, whether it be in this case the psycho psychological trauma associated with this bailout with this with this recession or or this this market, right? Or whatever it may be, just his core points and and the truth associated with when he made them and the outcome that ended up happening, those things will be almost impossible to replicate and almost impossible to just predict with an AI because a world where everyone has the ability to leverage these things, predicting the future doesn't become any easier per se. And just so I think like the takes you do have, the points you make rather than the style you made them in or the way you chose to present them. It becomes ever more important and kind of being right, being early, um, signaling the, 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 the high value thing long term, you know, becomes sort of the, the main the main function here. But I think to, to, to your point about um, people's entry into the space and, and a lot of those functions and bounties and, and contributions being, uh, uh, you know, commoditized or, 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 or you know, uh, Filled, filled by 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 GPT to some some extent or, or AI to some extent, you know I, I think it's very much going to be the case, and I think that that's why, you know, recommend for everyone to really get involved and in, you know build a brand for themselves, get aligned with brands or or organizations, DAOs, communities that you really uh, are are into, like contribute to them now, get involved with them because it's certainly going to be the case that that initial step of like doing doing basic work that that's like not not specialized uh to, in order to to contribute and be a part of of something is going to be harder and harder certainly with the ability to do this but of course that i think levels the playing field for smaller groups less funded groups and so on and so forth to to be able to do the same that only larger well-established communities could before so it's about finding that balancing out and i'd certainly recommend to individuals to participate and contribute as early as possible. Align yourself with identities and, and IPs and communities. Um, yeah, when as soon as possible. Thank you to Nir for coming on UFO. You can find him on Twitter at Nir underscore triple I. Links to his socials and projects are in the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible. For the best of Web3 in one feed, visit yup.io. To get started with Zirion and create your new crypto wallet, head to zirion.io. And to join the Lens ecosystem and explore the future of Web3 social, let us know you're interested to join the beta. Subscribe and collect our NFTs at ufoclub.lens. This is Nick Hollands signing off from UFO.